Welcome to the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. My name is Kelsey Newsom. I work as a macro social worker in West Michigan. And I'm Bruce Vendrager. I work as Executive Director of Pastoral Services for an organization in West Michigan called Hope Network. Together, we are the hosts of the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bearing Hope, a collaborative group made up of the Christian Reformed Church in North America, the Reformed Church in America, Hope Network, Pine Rest Christian Mental Health Services, and the Mental Health Foundation of West Michigan, Be Nice. We believe, particularly now, it is vital to begin conversations about mental health and faith. Together, we will explore questions and topics about leadership while also maintaining mental health, leading others who are new to understanding mental health, parenting through mental health, and so much more. We are concerned about thoughtfulness around mental health as it relates to all aspects of life and faith. Welcome to the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. So we'll just dive in with the theme of this episode, which is parenting or mental health in children. EJ, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, um, and then we'll kind of dive in to what mental health and faith looks like when it comes to kids. Thank you for having me. My name is EJ Bast. Personally, been married for 12 years. Got two boys, Judah, who's age five, Roman, who's age nine. I've been in private practice for a little over 10 years. My clients are Christian or are working in ministry, but I have a lot of clients that don't follow those categories as well. Um, I also work at a, a public school system uh, with the virtual learning, which we know has been a hot button issue and topic this past year. So I, I'm quite busy, but I, I love what I do. So we've heard kind of anecdotally over the past year that you know, there's a mental health crisis because of the pandemic, especially in kids. Do you have any sort of, I don't even know if there is concrete data yet because it's all still evolving, but um, even some more specific like trends that you're seeing and what yeah. what children are experiencing right now? I can tell you from the private practice I work with that uh, the number of clients we have had from, let's say, elementary through high school has skyrocketed, no doubt. Like that's, and again, I don't have any national data to go by. I can tell you about our our data. Um, it is definitely through the roof um, ever since last March. And I would tell you too, we have seen, I've seen a lot more parents um, as well in um, due to the pandemic too. So um, on both fronts, both students and parents, it's, yeah, it's been, the numbers have been um, unfortunately really high. It sounds disheartening, but I'm also encouraged to hear that you're saying that as a counselor, because that means that they're accessing services. Oh, yeah. And, you know, in that, what's encouraging me too, um, you guys, is that parents, I feel like the stigma is starting to go away of seeking help, you know, mental health help. And on, and on top of that, it's I've seen students from all across the board. So, you know, a lot of people think when when people come to counseling, it's because let's say it's a, a kid and they're dealing with school issues. They think it's necessarily because um, they're not high. You know, they got bad grades. You know, that that isn't the case. I see students that are high achieving academically, that are low achieving academically, that are high functioning. So, um, the, you know, this pandemic has it knows no boundaries, in my opinion. Like, they're, you know what I mean? It's it's covered all races, creeds, ages um, of all the students I've dealt with. In general, are the, the presenting issues more academic based or is it just the, the lack of social interaction and the, you know, the, the loss of um, just that kind of routine that, that so many kids need? 
I love that question because a lot of the times when I first see those kids, there's no doubt in my mind, the majority of the, the clients that I deal with, it's because of the social isolation. Um, you know, we're created for, I'm a big believer that we're created for community. And when that has been forcibly taken away, whether for good or for the bad, that has more long-term effects that, in my professional opinion, working with adolescents and kids and teenagers, you name it, than it does uh, a grade they're getting. Because they've been deprived of their social gatherings, right? Outside of school, they've been deprived of their social gatherings in school. And not only that, a lot of students, they're not, they don't learn virtually. They need the in-person instruction interaction. So, I mean, in my opinion, definitely it's the mental health, social aspect that is the overall link between what's going on. What are some things that parents can be watching for right now? And I think even to put that question in more context, when we talk about mental health, we also default to talking about an official diagnosis. But I think what a lot of kids are experiencing right now would just be big emotions. Um, So yeah, Um, yeah. what are some signs and symptoms and trends that parents can be watching for? I'm glad you use the term big emotions because that's what I use. So when I have parents come into me, they, a lot of them think there's something severely wrong with my kid where it has to be a diagnosis, right? So we'll go through some exercises and I'll go through a discussion with them. And a lot of it, depending on the age, is just emotions that have been bottled up and they don't know how to process it. So I'm going to use both of my sons as examples. So my youngest son, Judah, who's five, right? He is active. He's a ball of energy. You know, we know as kids, his neurons are firing off. He's growing, right? both mentally and physically, when everything started slowing down in March and eventually just halted, he was so confused because we had him in, like, he was in learn to skate. We would go to the park and hang around with friends. And for him, he's like, I don't know, like, he's trying to figure out what's going on. He can't articulate that me, but he's acting out, right? And at first, my wife and I would get on him, but then we started to, like, think about it. We're like, we have to approach this a different way. He's He's, he can't explain to us in adult words, right, of what he's experiencing that's going on globally, let, you know, let alone locally. And so for him, he just didn't understand why we were all of a sudden had a routine going on and that routine was taken out, right? Now, contrast that with my nine-year-old son. He's obviously more mature. He's more of a, um, he can think more clearly, more at a, you know, a higher level than my youngest son. And for him, he took it personal. You know, my son, my youngest, uh, my oldest son, Roman, who's nine, he is very a people person. He loves being around people. He loves being around family. So for him, it's like, what did I do wrong? Because now I can't see my friends. I can't go see Nana and Papa. How come we can't go to my favorite store, Barnes Nobles, and read a book? It's all of this stuff. And he thought it was his fault. So we had to sit down and talk with him um and realized because you know he wasn't himself for a while and i got concerned but i realized is after talking with him he was trying to he internalized all this and thought it was him and it wasn't him um and so those are just two examples and so when i talk to parents i say what has been the biggest change pre-covid versus covid for your student or for your child and why do you think that is because a lot of them think it's something severe that's going on and it's not it's just their world has been rocked. Kids thrive off structure and that structure was taken out of them. And now they have to develop a new structure. And most parents aren't equipped or didn't have to anticipate to create a new normal for their whole house. Yeah. And especially at the beginning, the, the first few months of COVID, and we've kind of 
sort of in some ways settled since then, but new normal was every two weeks. So we had to constantly adapt, like even as a fully functioning adult who sees a therapist and works hard on my own emotional health, I had no routine. And so I can only imagine being nine and not knowing or understanding what's happening there. You know, I I look it back, it was no, when my kids were babies, right? They can't communicate anything. So I'm trying to go by their cries, their tears. And it's, it's no different with kids. You know, as they grow up all the way through adults, you're trying to find out what their new language is and how they're trying to process everything. And the biggest thing is, you know, we've even parents have lost their um, a lot of their social contacts or how they de-stress. And naturally, that just gets taken on to the family and to the kids as well. You know, like I find myself at times being more short with my kids, more impatient with my kids. Um, because I had stuff taken away from me that I didn't realize or ruined my structure. And, um, I really, it really had to, I really had to step back and realize, okay, why am I acting like this? Why am I being maybe extra hard on my boys? What's going on with me? Um, and, you know, and I've seen that across many families, um, unfortunately, but it, you know, that is the question of the day is what is going to be the new normal? Um, I just worked with, um, some parents of some students for sports, so the, I have two of these two high school kids I'm working with that are big into sports. And thankfully that now ban was just lifted, but they were dealing with all kinds of depression and everything because that's, that was their outlet was sports. And a lot of it, whether it's good or bad, that was our identity. And that identity was ripped from them. So um, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of um, mental health, you know, that we talked about earlier, dealing with just the social construct and be able to have community with others. One of my coworkers uh, and I have, you know, we joked about it initially was um, because he identifies himself as a strong introvert that they were thriving at the beginning of all of this because, you know, he didn't have to go to work and he didn't have to do this. And, and I myself am, you know, somewhere in that more introverted type personality. But I think I found myself after months of like becoming this converted extrovert just because I couldn't, you know, I just wanted people again. Right. Which goes back to kind of the, I mean, the creation order when God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm sure he he was saying that, you know, in the context of, of marriage and creating um, a female, but at the same time, I think that speaks to all of us that it's just not good for us to be alone for these long period of time, especially with so many unknowns. Um, That's right. And then there was the false hope of maybe getting back to school, maybe getting things reopened. And then it didn't happen last spring, you know, and and so those were some of the challenges. Um, But I I do wonder about, you know, unfortunately, there's a side to the social side to, to school for some. It's terrifying because of bullies and because of, you know, uh, maybe a place where they don't fit in. If, you know, if there are certain kids who maybe have sort of thrived uh, by being virtual, by being outside of those environments where, um, where the cliques that they didn't fit into or the bullies that, that picked on them. Yeah. Couldn't do that. I've had, um, I won't say their names. I can think of a couple of kids offhand who I've talked to their parents for example, so, you know, I look at, I work at that vir- school where we do virtual learning and I've had parents come to me saying, just exactly what you said, this has been the best thing for my child because X, it could be bullying. 
It could be social pressures. It could be them comparing themselves on what they wear, who they hang out with. And then you add on social media on top of that, and it's a whole different, right, whole different ballgame. Um, but there are definitely students and kids who have thrived off that. Just what are, what have I what I've stressed to parents is that's great. I'm glad for them, but make sure they're still connected, right? Whether it's with a neighbor, like you still got to have social connections. So that's, that was always my worry with those parents that are like, this is great. I'm like, it'll be great for so long until that other need is a met, which right, which is community. So I just, you know, I always want to keep that on the front, you know, the front uh, forefront for the parents in their heart, in their mind. So no, there have been students that have thrived off that for sure. Um, and I, you know, it's funny cause I would consider myself an introvert too. And I was like, this is great, man. Like, like, I don't have to do this social function. I don't, my wife, my wife, who's an extreme extrovert, don't have to get thrown in front of something where she's like, EJ, come up here and talk. Right. So, but after months, you know, I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm cranky. I'm ornery. My wife's like, you got to do something. So yeah, to forcibly extrovert myself, which I actually felt kind of good, you know, um, but no, so yeah, definitely, there's definitely people that thrive in these environments, um, but usually there's got to be a balance, right? So we can go to the other extreme, become hermits, uh, which is not healthy either. I consider myself a textbook introvert, so I love alone time to recharge, and I live alone. So that was usually like, by default, my alone time to recharge, um, but I had nothing to recharge from anymore. So I was just right. always alone and interacting with people virtually. So I, I hear that I've somehow managed to make new friends during COVID. It's good. So the, the the overall like audience of this podcast, we intend to be um, faith leaders. So whether that's pastors, church staff, um, volunteers within a faith community. Um, So what do you have to say to how do faith leaders and parents work together here when it comes to the mental health of kids? I love this question. So I, I felt like for a long time, those two camps were in completely different hemispheres. Never even thought about, um, there was very little um, discussion going on. But when you, when you look at Jesus, you look at the Bible and God's word, he has stories of mental health all through there. Right. And so the typical example I give to people is, um, Elijah. So they had that contest with Baal and the the prophets, right. Bringing fire on down. Elijah was on the top of the mountain, man. That went down the next day. Jezebel said, I want that man dead. And he went into a deep depression, said, God, kill me now. Right. And the God had to take him away from somewhere to refresh, revamp. He still stayed in his, you know, depression. But after a while, God's like, okay, now I need you to go do this. So God gave us a pattern of like, hey, as believers, no matter what, you know, no matter whether you're a pastor, you're um, a lay leader, you're a volunteer, you're going to have some issues in this world. Right. And it's not because your lack of faith. It's not because I don't love you. It's because the world we live in. But here is a platform where. I, how I want you to get out of this. So one is staying connected with God, right? Which, you know, faith leaders, hopefully that's a natural part of what they do. And, but the idea is for faith leaders, the congregation, whoever you're dealing with, the idea is to not stigmatize that. So I love it when I go to churches and I hear, I see workshops or presentations or Bible studies on mental health that's integrated with the word because that normalizes it for people. When you keep it separate, 
people are like, well, that's not me or, or this person's going to think this about me. No, the enemy wants nothing new than to isolate us saying we're the only ones that are dealing with this. So the idea is when I talk with, with faith leaders, it's open communication from the front, right? Whether it's through your sermons up on stage, whether it's through a newsletter, your social media, it's um, connecting with groups in the community that are like-minded that deal with mental health to help bridge those gaps. Because again, there's, there's still that stigma to it, and there might always be that stigma, but especially from the faith aspect, if we can have Christians and Christian leaders, both men and women, uh, reach out and normalize it, oh man, that, you know, I deal with a lot of clients that have come to me because they were at either a church conference and uh, there was a session done on mental health or their pastor preached something on depression and relate to a, a story in the Bible. I've had more people come to me that because they've had those outlooks rather than in desperation mode. I'm on my last legs. I just came to you for help because I don't know what else to do. I've seen an increasing number, especially the last few years, because they were exposed to an honest conversation uh, within a ministry setting with a, with a faith leader. So it's almost like they were given permission um, from the pastor or, you know, from a, from a training that they attended to, um, given permission to, to put aside the stigma and right. um, some of the things that have often been associated with mental health uh, challenges within the church and to go seek uh, to seek help from somebody like yourself or, you know, another counselor. That's right. You know, I think a lot of those folks I've talked to that have had that experience, they look at that person as speaking for God, right? Whether that's good or bad, that's how they look at it. And so we've had conversations on God is very clear that he confirms things out of the mouths of two or three witnesses. So let's say something popped up on your social media feed to talk about mental health and Christianity. Your pastor does a sermon on it. You talk to someone else. God is speaking to you in that. That's okay. Like God, you know, God is speaking to you with it, but you're right. It's, they feel like they need the permission because a lot of them, for some reason, a lot of the folks I deal with, it's like they're failing God because they're seeking help for their mental health, if that makes sense. So when you have leaders they look up to in ministry, man, that, that permission for them, that releases a burden, right? That they've been carrying that they were not meant to carry to even um, walk through that door to seek help. I think there's this misunderstanding um, among adults, and I'm curious what it looks like among um, kids and families, where we see counseling as a crisis intervention, where we wait until mm. things are dire, and that's when we start to maybe hopefully ask for help. Um, can you kind of unpack that for us? Like, what do people come to you for? What do you wish they would start coming to you for mm. more frequently? Um, yeah, how do we know when is a good time to seek professional help? You know, you're right, Kelsey. I see a lot of times, depending on the age group, I'll see it's crisis mode. So it's reactive mode rather than proactive mode, if that makes sense. So the directions I usually give to adults or to parents with kids is, you know, if you've, I'll take kids, for example, if you, you know, your kids better than anyone else, you know, their personalities, their desires, their struggles. What I tell people is to be proactive means to stay in communication with your kids, right? You're, you're creating an environment where, where they'll, they'll tell you stuff, whether good or bad, and then you determine if you need to act on that, right? And so what I tell parents is if the, the, 
the fine line I tell them is if something is happening with your child that is impairing some major life functions, whether it's how they think, how they act, um, how they do an academically or in relationship with their peers. If there's something that's like, you know, is like, man, this might be a red flag. Seek help. Talk about it. Like you rather do that then than when it's a boulder rolling down the hill and you can't stop that boulder. Um, and there's no shame in that. You know, my wife and I, um, we're, we have a healthy marriage. We still check in with a counselor once a month just to check in and talk about life. And it's not because we're in crisis mode. It's because we're trying to stay ahead of it. And we don't want the enemy playing with our minds saying we're the only ones, you know, and at the same time, I don't want to have blind optimism that I'm the, the greatest husband on the planet. Right. And so I'm neglecting some responsibilities that I shouldn't be neglecting. So I always tell parents, if, if you're getting a little red flag, first pray about it, talk to your friends and peers and then come in for help. And then, you know, we have a lot of clinicians. We have a lot of experience where, you know, chances are what you're dealing with, we've seen before and we can kind of give you like a scale of, you know, what you should be concerned about versus what you shouldn't. How do parents, how do adults, faith leaders, everyone care for themselves while caring for others who might be in crisis? Yeah, no, that's, that's great. So, you know, one of the top things that has got taken away from everybody when this pandemic started was time. Mm -hmm. And so when I've talked to parents, especially that are burned out or they're at their wits end, I've asked them, where does your time come from? Because usually we took it for granted, but usually like their time was maybe, oh man, when I went to Myers and did my grocery shopping, I had half an hour to my hour to myself. Maybe I was intense what I was thinking, but I was time myself or, Hey, I was used to the commuting to work those 10, 15, half, half an hour. I love that time. I wish I had that time back. I might've complained about driving in bad weather when I had it, but man, what I would have had to get that time back. So what I first work on with ministry leaders and parents is how can we get time back in your schedule? That's just for you. I always tell people you have to carve out time. So we usually talk about, is there a time where you can go on walks? Is there a time where maybe you can, do you have a, you know, cause a lot of parents that maybe let's say they went out with their girlfriends or their friends, like once a month, I said, okay. I said, have you guys been meeting virtually once a month? Um, have, are you on a text thread with a few friends, which is what I do, which is ongoing, right? Uh, where we text each other all the time. It's just three of us. And it's an ongoing thread about whatever we want to talk about. So the first thing I always tell is how can we get your time back? Right. Cause it's not gonna be like it was before. So what in the environment we live in, how can we get that time back? Um, the second thing I talk about with parents is realistic expectations. So if you have the same expectations for your family and your kids about any topic, school, ministry, whatever it is, that has completely shifted to something completely different. So are you using the same expectations for yourself as a parent or as a husband and wife or whoever that you had before? If so, you'll never hit those expectations. So we, we, we write down, we go over realistic expectations. Another thing uh, that is huge right now is I told, I asked parents what their boundaries are. And they're like, what do you mean by that? I said, what are you consuming? And usually it's like, oh, I'm consuming social media. Okay. So we'll go over Facebook. We'll go over Twitter stuff. And then we'll go over what is it that you're consuming on those platforms. And nine out of 10 times, it is to them, it's toxic, right? Because it's usually fear-based. It's for, to them, it's like, well, I want to know. But then it's causing so much fear. I've had to tell parents I need you to stop watching this news channel that you keep mentioning. I need you to stay off this Facebook thread. And I'm asking you, 
if you can't fast from your social media, then you need to hide some folks for you that are causing this panic and this fear in you. They might be good friends. You don't need that in your season right now. So a lot of it is setting boundaries that have just overtaken them. And so, which goes into like, you know, I always tell your parents, you should control the schedule. The schedule should never control you. So if you're burning, there's times as parents that, man, you got to do what you got to do, right? Because that's to to get everything going for that day. But man, we got to work on your schedule, not controlling you. From the parents, it's just, I've had to talk to them about just what they're consuming every day. You know, almost like fasting from that. It doesn't mean you're oblivious to stuff that's going on. But right now, until we get into a better state, this is what I recommend that you you do to uh, get back to, you know, good mental health for you and your family. Because I always tell parents, you're only as good for your kids as you are for yourself. So if, if you're in a bad spot and you're in a rough spot in a, a dry season, this part in life, chances are that's going to filter over to your family and friends as well. Not to Not to condemn you, but just to challenge you for your own mental health and your own kind of like just to get rejuvenated. What can we do to rejuvenate know there are a lot more adult children living at home right now. Does any of this, this conversation we've had so far change when it comes to parents of adult kids? No, I think it's, you know, when I've worked with parents with adult kids, it's usually their expectations are off, right? You know, it's, it's usually they have in their mind what they envision their adult kids would be doing at that point in time. And when they see their adult kids living with them, they think either I failed my kid's failing or there's something severely wrong because this shouldn't be normal, which then I bring up examples of, you know, people in other cultures that, man, they stay with, you know, it's a big family unit. till the matriarch dies, the patriarch, not that you have to have that, but like, what is it you're worried about? Is it social status? Is it a toxic environment in your house? Like, what is it that you're, you're worried about with your adult kids living to you? And a lot of the time, nine times out of 10, it's something that's not of their values. It's something surfacey. It's not like something that's rocking their core. You know, example of something that would be unhealthy would be like, okay, is your kid dealing with an addiction? Are they disrespecting you? Are they causing you financial drain? Like they're not contributing when they could be. So th- those are the issues that we talk to when I have adults that come to me because they're stressed out about their kids living at home. And a lot of times it's false expectations that they have. And with COVID going on, it's hard for them to see an ending to it. Right. So that's the biggest thing. It's like, I don't see an end to it. Well, then we need to manage until the end comes of strategies to help you with you and your kids, you know, why you guys are living together. It's having these conversations, especially within the Christian community that normalizes it. Right. Because God created us. He knows us inside and out. You know, and he created us for community. You know, you guys mentioned at the beginning, you know, he, he created Adam and said, man, it's not good for man to be alone, right? And that's when life back then was simple, right? It was just them two. So now, you know, now we got billions of people in a lot of different churches, denominations, and just, man, just even having this conversation with you guys, and you guys be willing to do these podcast segments, to me, it's just super encouraging to show that that trajectory is changing for the good. Well, our goal certainly is to... Uh know, to bring the conversations about mental health into faith communities to increase transparency and authenticity. Um, Because many of us know that one in five Americans are experienced some kind of challenge or crisis um, in every year. As a, as a preacher, I speak, you know, uh, as a guest preacher and, and, 
various churches. And I did start a sermon once. Um, I was, I was going to be preaching about depression, uh, but started the sermon by, um, you know, pointing to the congregation and just kind of counting it out one, you know, two. And I, every sixth person, every fifth person, I said, please raise your hand. And just to kind of visualize that within the congregation. And they didn't know what they were raising their hands for. And I said, you know, statistically, this is, this is how many people within this room right here are experiencing some kind of mental health um, challenge or crisis. And I, the first time I did that, I can remember the, you know, the look um, on many people's faces, like, kind of like, you know, wow, when you, when you see it, you know, and just to get that conversation started to say, so it's real, let's talk about it, let's be honest about it, and let's That's get right. rid of the, some of these stigmas that have often sort of plagued the church, or they've just kind of covered things up. Hopefully we do see changes about that. I think we already are seeing some of those changes, uh, as you mentioned. You know, you're so encouraged when you see a church that's having a, you know, a study or a, a conference or right. a seminar on it. And um, we want to continue to to encourage that. So thank you for your time. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Great job and keep it up. Thank you. Have a good day. Hello, All right. Say hello. I will. You guys too. Bye-bye.